Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And tonight we're discussing cyberpunk edge runners. So it's a special sci-fi episode. And so sci-fi video game. Sci-fi. Kind of horror dystopian. There's a lot wrapped into it's, cyberpunk. I feel like it's hard to put it into a singular genre. Yeah. This is also like the epitome of cyberpunk. Oh yeah. <laughs> Big fucking time. Yeah. I'm Jonathan. Hi, I'm Justine. <laughs> Welcome to our show. If you can't tell, we're excited to talk about cyberpunk bro i fucking love cyberpunk for reference how many hours of the game do you think you played uh probably like 400 hours <laughs> yeah uh, i probably well, played like you know i don't know about that because i've done a couple of builds but i haven't played all of them like all the way through or even that far i'd yeah. say like i've maybe played two three builds all the way till the end but didn't even do like everything on the map yeah so yeah like three four hundred hours yeah. maybe less i don't know you know a lot about the game too so i'm sure yeah. things will like pop up in your mind as because well, i take it. my time <laughs> i've played it so many times that i actually have time to take you know yeah. i'm not eager to rush through the story and see what's gonna happen that's true the first time you go through it, it's kind of a, a a run through the main story yeah it's but, a trip but the story's so good you just yeah. want to keep going with it so this is we're specifically talking about the anime series that was released on netflix which is yeah. called Cyberpunk Edge Runners, and it's based in the world of Cyberpunk 2077 that was established by the game. Yeah, the anime actually takes place in uh, 2076, so yeah. a year prior to the events of V yeah. and Johnny Silverhand. Right. Um, the series itself was Japanese-made, and it was also in collaboration with CD Projekt Red, who mm-hmm. is the people that made the game. But the original creator of the game is a guy named Mike Pondsmith, as well as Rafal Jockey. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones responsible for creating the characters and the role-playing game that was created in 1988. Yeah, so Pondsmith was the one who sort of created the world of cyberpunk. A lot of story building. He was um, definitely uh, inspired by works from the 80s. And so he was really a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons. He did eventually work on Dungeons & Dragons for the role-playing game. But this was the cyberpunk futuristic version of Dungeons & Dragons at that time. Which, by the way, we need to get the tabletop game because you can get it on Amazon still. Yeah, they've actually redone the set. So you can actually get a modern interpretation of the set, which he revisited and kind of cleaned up. So that it's a a lot more, um, like, it's easier to play than the original version was because it's a little involved creating the characters and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Pondsmith is known for that as well as for making Mechton, which was a role-playing game focused around mecha and anime. So if you like those two combined, you'll love that. Uh, So Pondsmith's the original weeb. Uh, I don't know if he's the original weeb, but, like, he definitely... He's a weeb. He created... Oh, yeah. The OG weeb, I should say. Uh, I I would venture to say that he's the OG black weave because like i can't think of any other black person that's that influential I in mean, that certain anime not to say they didn't exist they right. just weren't out and lauded the same way that they are now you know <laughs> i mean anime yeah. lovers and fans in general were kind of like in the closet up until maybe a few years ago and it wasn't a cool thing yeah anime <laughs> suddenly out of nowhere became yeah. like a trendy thing yeah definitely. but you know at least I don't have to hide my love anymore. <laughs> well, the original cyberpunk tabletop was made in 1988. Yeah. So that's like around when he created the RPG, which you could just buy and store like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he also created Castle Falkenstein, which was a um, steampunk 
RPG game that you can also play. So he's very involved with world building and specific genres. Yeah, I'm sensing a theme here of the punk. I can tell he's very uh, anti-establishment, anti-government, yes. which I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many things we'll discuss in the storyline and cyberpunk itself, which is anti-capitalist, anti-corporation. Like, there's yeah. a lot of sentiment against the, like invisible hands messing with your life mm-hmm. um but i'm really excited to yeah. be able to talk about cyberpunk again we talked about yes. it uh over a year probably yeah, longer not uh, long after the game came out yeah around the time the game came out maybe like a month or two after when we had some time to play we yeah. had actually discussed this previously with mitch and Murr. so i'm excited to revisit it now that we've spent more time with the game yeah. some there's been updates recently yeah for some it. updates we can look forward to some dlc coming yeah. next year we have the anime to discuss that's honestly really impressive where cyberpunk has gone since it was first released yeah. because i know when it was first released there was a lot of controversy around it because it wasn't quote-unquote a complete game it was but like it people, was but yeah. people wanted to complain because they didn't have a console strong enough to run the game because <laughs> it's a it's a heavy file yeah we, we joked about that it's like sounds like you're um because they were playing it on ps3 ps4 and like oh i'm sorry just the ps4 because ps3 won't be able to run it and <laughs> could uh, you imagine yeah and just the it, it wasn't built for that it was made for the newest version of consoles and for like 4k tvs oh yeah so it's like that was like the prime way to play it um but now it's a little yeah. more accessible to those with older consoles yeah there's also been a resurgence of people playing role-playing games so Dungeons yeah. and Dragons came back big because of Stranger Things. I would say it was coming back even before Stranger yeah. Things, but Stranger Things definitely capitalized on the aspect of role-playing games. Yeah. I want to say, honestly, around the time the pandemic started, we saw yes. people playing more games, not only oh, video yeah. games, but you know, a lot of people didn't have anywhere they could go to, but they could still at least have their friends over at their house. Yeah, we're starting to see the like results of people in the pandemic creating because we have so many shows coming out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there's Lord of the Rings, there's House of the Dragon. And a lot of things that were probably on hold because of the yeah, pandemic. That exactly. Are magnificent, magnificent masterpieces now because they've had so much time to go back and refine yeah, them. They're really working on a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, what I think what informs a lot of this is that Pondsmith worked on a lot of world building games. Like he was involved with um, Dungeons and Dragons, but he also was involved with Cyberpunk 2077 as a... Uh, um, the voice of Maximum Mike. Yeah. He's the DJ of Moral Rock Radio and Cyberpunk, who we often listen to while we're playing. No, yeah, it's funny because I almost always listen to the Moral Rock Radio station because I love rock music and I feel like it's good it's good driving music, especially yeah. driving around the city. But I also love listening in on his little sort of like podcast things that he does in game. It's because like, you get a lot of interesting details yeah. about the lore of the world that you probably wouldn't pick up on or even be able to notice at first glance yeah it's created in the way that like so like he's technically a podcaster yeah in the world of night city yeah i always anytime i'm driving i'll pull over yeah. and listen because it's it's really interesting stuff that he talks yeah. about well he's a he's a singular podcaster who talks at the audience yeah and he talks about uh things that might be considered like quote-unquote conspiracy theories that he yeah. can't really confirm but people are suspicious of say the government of corporations and things that are happening i remember there was one story he was telling that i thought was really interesting where um a corporation i want to say it was biotechnica had released an experimental yeah bioweapon that had caused a community to become very ill and those that survived and had offspring these offspring 
started to show unique symptoms where they had, let's say, superpowers, psychic abilities that they didn't have or wouldn't be a normal thing to have. Yeah. And essentially, he's saying that the corporations had tracked down all of these psychic children and confined them into a certain space somewhere to utilize as weapons, which you don't hear about at all in any other context of the game except for in that radio broadcast. But super interesting piece of detail. A psychic children facility somewhere, big Akira vibes. Yes humongous reference to that but also i think a reference to real life shit say your mk ultra stuff yeah the, mk ultra the there interest is, uh, from the fbi defined psychic warfare there is like, also yeah. a soviet program yes. that was working on psychics um i was reading not too long ago too about facilities in china that people believe are basically academies for psychic children yeah. And even non-psychic children will be sent to these academies and supposedly they learn psychic abilities by witnessing them from other kids. Just a lot yeah. of interesting stuff. <laughs> so this is obviously something that people have been talking about forever, but it's cool to see it put in the game in this way. Yeah, it's it's been something that wasn't... So Pondsmith, of course, is the original creator and he was involved with more of the world building, but it eventually came into the hands of several people. Like this is a humongous endeavor by like dozens of people who have created the storyline and filled it out. And it's done through very, like a lot of different pieces of, of media. Like you have comic books, you're gonna have the video game, you're gonna have the original role-playing game, you have original novels, and then now you have the anime series. And so you yeah. have all these worlds that you can put together and find out about the characters and how they're all connected to each other. Definitely. So let's get into the anime a little bit before we get too carried away talking about our <laughs> right. love for cyberpunk. <laughs> so it obviously set in the world of cyberpunk 2077. Night City. Which is Night City. Um, the screenplay was by uh, Masahiko Otsuka, who's known for directing and writing Gurren Lagan. So already an impressive resume. He's also um, involved in the first episode of Star Wars Visions, which was on Disney+. Plus. Highly recommend if you want to watch anime versions of Star Wars stories. Um, he is also involved with two episodes of Kill a Kill and Little Witch Academia, which was very popular <laughs> during the time that it came out. Yeah. The screenplay was also written by Yoshiki Usa, who produced two episodes of Star Wars Visions as well, The Elder and the Twins. And he also produced Little Witch Academia, so they're both associated with each other. Buddies. Yeah, so they must have <laughs> known each other from producing and writing that. Mm -hmm. um, the story itself was kind of created by three different people. Um, Bartas Sitzbor, known for writing and illustrating a large amount of cyberpunk in the Witcher comics. So he's in, been employed by uh, CD Projekt Red for some time. Um, and then it was also created by Jan Barkowitz and Lucas Lud Ludkowski. So then these are going to be other illustrators and animators who are involved. Not as, I guess, famous as the main writer, but they helped with the story. Each episode has a varying amount of people who worked on it. And the credits are all over the place uh, for who was able to do it. But the main director of the series is Hiroyuki Imashi, who's known for his work with Studio Trigger, which is the yeah. studio that produced the anime. Um, it's known for working on things like Gurren Lagan, Kill a Kill, and he was also the key animator on Neon Genesis Evangelion. Love it. So just an a amazing group of icons. people. A ton of icons. Yeah. Iconic production team. Like, there's no way this could have failed. Yeah, you it was hard to fail on something like, like that. Story and world building from Mike Pondsmith, mixed of these incredible anime producers. Yeah. And the writers that were involved with the game as well, coming together to make, create something that, as far as we know, has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. And I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, it's hard, too, for shows to do that because uh, they have to do an overall rating amongst all the episodes. Granted, it's a 10-series episode and they're very short. Yeah, but I mean, but still. I was able to binge-watch that. 
Yeah, you like, can watch it in about two and a half, three hours. But like, it's good enough to be binge worthy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll like want to watch it back to back. Like, not a single episode was a filler. Nothing was slow at yes. any point. It was all action all the time. Yeah. Even though like more slow quote unquote parts parts about action were still just as interesting yeah i agree they really did a lot of good storytelling for how the characters are feeling in the narrative of the story and this really is what draws you into the story um the last few things is the opening theme which is uh called this fire by franz ferdinand <laughs> who like i don't know i just haven't been paying attention to them so like i don't know I haven't heard any recent news about Franz Ferdinand. Me either. I don't think the <laughs> song is new, is it? Um, I don't believe so. I think it's a song that already existed and they just asked to use it because it doesn't look like it was created for it. They also had a composer mm-hmm. for the for the um, series. But fair to know, a lot of artists were actually commissioned to make songs for the game. Yes. Yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 has a humongous library of music. Yeah, some really good artists yeah. too, like Run DMC, uh, Grimes did a song for them. Nice. The uh, ending theme is by uh, Dawid Posiado. And then the composer for the entire series was Akira Yamoka, who is known for his work on the Silent Hill series. Nice. So he's been involved with video game composing for a long time. The main song that you hear in the series, which gets played over and over again, is a song by Rosa Watson, which is called I Really Want to Stay at Your House. And it's been featured and it's really critically acclaimed because of oh, that. I love that song. Honestly, I didn't listen to it a whole lot when right. I was playing the game. I was like, this is a nice song. Like, I like the song. I'll leave it on. But it has completely different context now after seeing the anime. It I hurts. almost always want to cry. <laughs> it hurts. We'll get into that. Obviously, spoiler alert. Yes. Do not listen to this podcast if you have not watched the series and don't want to get things spoiled yeah it's uh, you can't we have to talk about certain elements of the story to get into larger existential things that it deals with um in order to be able to like fully analyze it so go watch it you can watch it in like one sitting for sure yeah, if you're down with binge like watching legit stuff. like maybe two three hours tops if you take a little break in between yeah you'll be fine um if you go and check out the reviews it has a consensus that agrees that it's a really stylish anime oh yeah. and that the direction it took is very reminiscent of kill a kill um especially in regards to the animation style which is really frenetic and like will stretch out and it's very surreal so it's like that's an element that people really liked about it the show was created with both voice actors in english and voice actors in japanese so that they could release it in both con- main countries and not have any issues with say your voiceover work when they dub things and it's not very good and so what they did was they created it for the main characters, which we'll go over really quickly. Um, David Martinez, main character of the story. Um, he was voiced by Ken in Japanese and Zach Aguilar in English. There's Lucy, who is voiced by Aoki Yuki and Emily or Emmy Lowe in English. Maine, who is voiced by Hiroki Tochi and William Stevens in English. Dorio, who's voiced by Michiko Kaden and Mary Westbrook. Kiwi, who's voiced by Takako Honda and Stephanie Wong. Pilar, who's voiced by Wataru Takagi and Ian James Corlett. Rebecca, who's voiced by Tomoyo Kurosawa and Alex Cazares. Love her. Faraday, who is voiced by Kazuhiko Inoi and Giancarlo Esposito, who you'll yeah, recognize yeah. immediately from oh, yeah. as <laughs> several pieces of work. That motherfucker opened his mouth. I was like, that's Gus Spring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he is a very good voice and he's an amazing villain. So having him in the show was really cool to recognize him. Gloria Martinez, David's mom, is voiced by Eureka Hino and Gloria Garuya. Same name. That's funny. 
Ripper Doc, which apparently didn't have a name. Well, we just called him Doc. Yeah, it was voiced by Kenjiro Suda and Borgi Etain. And then Falco was voiced by Yasuki Kase and Matthew Mercer. Uh, who, by the way, Matthew Mercer looks almost exactly like Falco. Yeah, just minus missing, the stash. Yeah, missing the mustache. Yeah. So right off the top, what did you like the most about the story and the narrative of, of Edge Runners? Did something like pop out to you or were you just like, the whole thing's great? The whole thing's great. <laughs> I, I can't, I don't know. I think I was just more excited because I know what a great story cyberpunk yeah. is. And to see that story further developed and in this case getting a little like a context before we start playing the game of what the world is who these people are kind of what the environment is who the corporations are it's just i couldn't ask for anything more like i had high expectations for this anime to begin with and even still it surpassed any expectations that i had Ooh, that's good the style is incredible the writing is great the characters are I get so attached to the characters and it's definitely like a Hamlet kind of situation. Like fucking everybody dies. Yeah. They, they do a really good job of bringing you in to really have um, empathy for the characters and what's happening. This is a story based around like certain things. So one of the things we should mention, which is also from the games is the idea of cybernetics. It's based around like literally there's one cybernetic that could say runs the show, which is the Sanivistan cybernetic that he gets. Yeah. And this is also something that you can get in the game. Yeah. Essentially, it's a synaptic accelerator yeah. and it's like Matrix style shit. Like everything starts moving in slow motion around you, but that's because you're moving twice as fast as yeah. you normally would. It they gives have you... to show it slowly so we can see. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you superhuman speed. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it increases strength as well to a certain degree. Yeah. It like will stimulate your muscles so yeah. that you're able to move quicker um one thing they point out in the show though is that this piece of cybernetics is very intense on the body yeah and typically people wouldn't use this more than say two three times in a day but we have our main character here david martinez who's built different <laughs> he literally says it in the show <laughs> which is really funny and homeboy when he first installs his uh cybernetics fires it up like eight times in a day yeah and this Wild. is what like sets off the story. He is the son of a paramedic in Night City, which is like a really tough job to have. She works crazy hours. She's trying to pay for his schooling. He's looking to be a part of the Arasaka um, kind of like police task force that he's looking to get into. Or I don't is, think she's wanting to be a part of it, but rather this is what she's hoping for her son. No, no, she. That's what I'm saying. She was trying to have him yeah. go into it. Yeah, definitely. She was. Uh, we find out selling cybernetics on the black market in order to pay for his tuition yes. at this very prestigious Arasaka Academy because David Martinez is from Santo Domingo. Yeah. And if you know anything about the game, Santo Domingo is sort of like your low-income neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be like the bad side if there is a bad side of Night City. Yeah. Home to 6th Street and the Valentinos. Yeah. So he essentially, him and his mom grow up pretty much in poverty. Um they are trying to find ways to make money and to keep him in school and everything kind of falls apart from there. Um, you technically don't have to play the game to fully understand the story, although it does help because you're going to understand the seriousness of what's happening in the story. Right. Like you don't need to know everything about who are Asaka, who Militech, who these characters are, but it definitely holds a lot more weight once you understand these corporations. Yeah. Arasaka is kind of like your evil empire, yeah. per se. Well, so what's interesting is that they've taken two routes with the corporations. Arasaka is like your 
um, like they have a monarchy essentially because yeah. they're connected to the royal family in Japan. And so that like the emperor of Japan shows up as the leader of Arasaka in the game. Saburo Arasaka. Saburo Arasaka, who you see in the beginning of the story of Cyberpunk 2077. But also you have things like Militech who are involved with creating military uh, hardware and software. Yeah. Kind of my uh, assumption is that Militech at some point was just sort of like the military for the United States. Yeah, and but then they transferred into Yeah, the United States and the game has gone through several different um, transformations and has become more of a corporate country than it is a politically run country. In fact, I believe yeah. it was divided um, by NUSA versus like the rest of the country, America. I, I don't know what yeah. they call the country, actually, to be honest. I don't know if it is considered to be America because there's the NUSA who's like your old school patriots. This is yeah. sort of like the remnants of old school America. And then there's the rest of the country. Yeah, you end up having your nomad clans. Yeah. Like the Aldecados are humongous clan that had a shit ton of people at some point and are considered to be one of the oldest clans around. Yeah. And they get featured in the game as well. And they're sort of like in between. They're not part of either side of the country. Yeah. They, well, a, they roam around. They, they're yeah. a, they're a um, like literally a nomadic group yeah. of people. And given the environmental climate at the time, uh, general uh, disregard for climate action has yeah. caused a lot of the land to become uninhabitable. Not to mention all of the corporate wars that have happened and countless nukes that were likely dropped has yeah. left most of the country completely barren and desertous. Yeah. And so they talk about the the radiation that's affected. Yeah, places around. Um, even like you were mentioning earlier, the company biotechnica right and so majority of the population of this country live in these large cities like night city but we have the in between liminal desert spaces where we find our nomadic clans like the nomads the um raffin yeah Raffin shiv yeah who are like your buzzards of the desert yeah they, exactly. they t kill people and take their stuff um so this is all like a setting like they've created the world that the so the show had a very good premise like they were able to build inside of a world that already existed yeah they really want to show you what it's like to be poor in night city and what that's going to do to you and where you get like pushed to and that's including right. like mercenary work i know uh one thing though i wanted to mention too that i found sort of interesting and we were talking about this before we started recording actually is that a lot of people i feel feel that night city and cyberpunk is sort of like a aspect of the future like something yeah. we're headed towards but i would argue that cyberpunk is just a dramatization of what's going on now so i agree and but i think the difference is that um there are certain things that are not quite so blatant so yeah. like of course we have we have corporations who are looking to take over main things um your prime example being amazon um, yeah facebook IBM, uh, ATT. Yeah, these are companies that have taken over a large amount of things. Disney does it, even though they're part of just solely media. Mm -hmm. They've kind of created a monopoly around yeah. creating certain things. Think like BlackRock yeah. Corporation, right. who yeah. owns like fucking everything. That's is like, like scary Arasaka. to look into how associated they are with several different companies. Yeah. Um, anyway, they. so this is like... So we have that. We, of course, have our feelings towards the corporate capitalism, but also the way that police treat people in the game is real to what's happening now with police brutality um but also what's interesting though is the value of police police in this yeah. world have kind of become obsolete not in our current world but in the right. cyberpunk world they're also quote-unquote they're like part of the corporations they're like mercenaries for the corporations in many yeah, cases precisely and max tac which we'll talk about at some point they're like swat team of ncpd are direct like hire 
by the corporations mm-hmm. um they work with like adam smasher and stuff like that yeah who's a main villain in the story um also something to note though is because of the effects of the corporations the world has become so impoverished so crime-ridden yeah that the police simply cannot keep up with the amount of yeah. calls that they're getting in and so that's why mercenary work edge runners cyberpunk legal <laughs> yeah they're legal and they're a vital part of the community because for those that can't get the police to pay attention to what's going on they have to hire people people in their own means and so these are sort of your more efficient police your mercenaries well that's what runs the game too yes you make a name for yourself by becoming a mercenary in the city who's well known you're a night city legend and so this is connected to a whole bunch of different things because as that mercenary you discover more about what's happening with people you get involved with more stories but for this particular narrative you follow david as he becomes a mercenary and what they call edge runners Mm-hmm. And so all of them, I feel like, were within that group. Like, that's their group, is the Edge Runner group. But they all specifically have, like, certain jobs, right? Yeah. Like, they're they're kind of a group that comes together to do mercenary work. Yeah, so, like, Dorio, uh, Maine, and david are sort of like the solos they're the muscle they got yeah. the guns they do the boo boo <laughs> um oh and rebecca rebecca big yeah. time she's a crazy motherfucker i love her <laughs> and then you have the others like say lucy and kiwi they're the net runners and so they're more yeah. like support to the group but also a vital part which they couldn't get shit done without their net runners yeah and then we have falco our getaway driver there's a great backstory to why lucy is a, like a net watcher uh, or um a net runner like prodigy basically yeah um should we talk about it now or? Yeah, let's talk about Lucy because <laughs> Lucy is probably one of the more notable characters from the yeah. series. Obviously, David's the main character, but I think from what I've been seeing, everybody cares a lot more about Lucy, but I get it. She's like the best girl. Let's be real. Yeah. It's kind of a tie between Lucy and Rebecca for different reasons, but we'll get into that, of course. She ends up being a very real product of the like insidious nature of Arasaka. Who, so, so some explanation here has to happen, which is that... At some point in the history of Night City, the original internet, what we know as now, collapsed. It was taken down by yeah. a certain netrunner. Do you remember his name? Raish Bartmoss. Yes. He's also the creator of Daemons. And in yeah. the game, demons, daemons are essentially like your programs. So yeah. these are your quick hacks. These are your breach protocols. These are your these are things that are going to affect the world around yeah. you. So They're also can... designed to infiltrate things. Yeah. So you have full control over technology, also people's bodies. Yeah. Because most people contain cybernetics. And so you right. can hack into those with these daemons. And so right. he was the one to create these programs that could have this effect on the world and then crash the computer and dis- or crash the internet and disappeared. Yeah. To which people started creating more localized nets. And you'll see that in the game like the voodoo boys have created their own net yeah. that they use for interacting with the rest of the digital world they're also looking to communicate with rogue ais which we'll talk about yeah for sure at some point mm-hmm. um lucy was essentially plucked as a child to join a program that arasaka had created to train net runners so they can go into the old web and pull out lost archival information and so she was trained at a very early age to be a net runner and was only trained to do that she eventually escapes from Arasaka, but it like haunts her basically uh, up until she meets David and realizes that uh, as part of the team, being a net runner and being a mercenary is super dangerous. And like it almost always ends badly. Mm-hmm. The ticking time bomb, the gun that you see at the beginning of the show is the Sandivistin, which is connected to cybernetics and cyberpsychosis, which I think is a good place to start. 
for the story and like how it unfolds in the in the like world of cyberpunk because it's super important yeah i feel like the thing with cybernetics is they take everything that's human and turn it up a couple notches yeah so originally intended to be tools like helpful yeah, tools. they are supplemental enhancing items but they enhance everything not only physical capabilities but also aspects of your psyche yeah and so in this case it is believed that those who have um say any sort of mental disorder whether they're depressed whether they have aspects of psychosis um, yeah psychopathy those kind of things they will be amplified by the cybernetics yeah. and we see this with our david martinez watching an xbd in the beginning of the show yeah so XBDs, they don't say it yeah go ahead explain uh xbds are essentially so uh, a brain dance <laughs> is a bd which is a great name i love yeah. that name and it's essentially sort of like a video that you can be fully immersed yeah. in uh, like physical sight senses and feeling all together. And um, XBDs are brain dances of death, whether yeah. that is being killed, killing someone else, witnessing a murder. XBDs show that darker aspect, but yeah. you get to feel all of this without actually suffering the repercussions yourself. Yeah. So as far as world building goes and story making, David Martinez is sort of predisposed to want to kill himself. Or experience death and the feeling that comes along with death without actually dying. And so it's suggested that he is not mentally stable because he's looking at certain things like that. They even comment at some other point in the show that it's not typical for people to be looking yeah, at stuff I like mean, this. Even the mercenaries, the um, group that he ends yeah. up rolling with, when he started spreading his knowledge that he knew of the xbds they were like oh i didn't know you're a freak like that yeah and that's coming a lot from people who have literal arm cannons and make people into confetti yeah so <laughs> it's definitely suggested throughout the game in many different ways like shards you can read in the game and backstory that it is possible that certain predispositions mental predispositions might make it that cyber psychosis will hit you harder or faster based on how much cybernetics you have. So typically, the more cybernetics you have installed, the less flesh you are, um, then the more likely you are to just go crazy. The mental load of handling the cybernetics mixed in with your own body is too much. And the rare exception is Adam Smasher, who is like 96% cybernetics. 97. 97% cybernetics. Probably just like a bit of his brainstem yeah. that's still organic. And... That in itself is scary because I think it can either be that he is well aware of how like specifically he's looking to do things like he's very much a sociopath or he just has the mental strength to be able to do something like that, which makes him an insane mercenary. Maybe both. To be able to handle all the stuff that he does. That's the ticking time bomb in David's back, essentially, because he gets the cybernetic installed. And then that is not supposed to happen where one piece makes you go crazy. But that's essentially what happens to him in the story. And so he ends up being a really tragic hero type character. Although, like, towards the end, I would argue that, like, he really wasn't a hero. He didn't really do anything. He didn't save anyone except for Lucy. He was yeah. a hero to her. But ultimately, that was his biggest accomplishment was saving her life as she tried to save his. Yeah, I think this is where I come in with a lot of qualms about the way that his character plays out because he's a tragically flawed hero this is a tragedy when you yeah. watch the whole story and too much of his pride gets in the way of letting him actually continue his relationship with lucy uh -huh. and so he does die at the end and she's left alone and you're kind of like i think a lot of people would agree with his actions because like you want to be 
the person who makes change happen. But like he also gives up so much of himself to be able to get there that it's like it's a tough thing to watch to see like his character unravel. Yeah. And I think that's probably the saddest part about the whole series is that he because of his actions, a lot of people get killed in the story. And so this is kind of like the premise of what everything is centered around. Mm -hmm. But like the cyber psychosis is not the like only path that happens. Right. Like we know from the story that there are people who are interested in rehabilitation. Regina Jones is a big example. Yeah, so you won't see this in the show, but in the game, there is a fixer that you'll meet, Regina Jones. She's actually one of the first fixers to contact you, aside from Wakako. Um, but Regina Jones is a former journalist turned fixer, and she has a heavy interest in cyberpsychosis, which I'm curious about her backstory and why she's so personally involved with cyberpsychosis. I can only imagine she may have lost somebody close to her to cyberpsychosis and has been trying to find a solution ever since. But besides the point, it's an untold story, too, about how she lost her eye. Yeah, that too. She wears an eye patch in there and she also wears like like a vest, like tactical gear. Yeah, but she's one of the first people to say that these aren't bad people. They're yeah. just people that have lost their senses essentially right. to the cybernetics that they've strapped themselves so in with. So this, I think this has to be commentary about people's living situations in uh, institutionalized areas where you're like, like the world is designed to make you poor. And we're kind of living in that in late stage capitalism where it's very hard to get out of a position where you're not able to make enough money and then you turn to what things you can do. And their world mercenary work is a way to make a lot of money. Yeah. But it's also highly dangerous. And exactly. so you have the mom who is like, please don't do anything dangerous. And she wants to send him to the police academy because that's your like one shot into the corporations to make money. I think she also knew from knowing her son that he is a very determined person yeah. and will do anything it takes to survive, essentially. Right. Which is why she was pushing so hard for him to go into an academy and go the corporate yeah. route. Because going the corporate route is usually the safest way to have your needs taken care of and yeah. live a comfortable life oh yeah essentially like it's very much a pact of the devil like you're selling your soul to work for arasaka yeah and it's funny because we'll talk about the relic and, and soul the secure making. your soul program yeah. and soul killer yeah. and all that good stuff um one of the things that they touch on is the idea of trauma team uh trauma team international is a corporation in the game which acts the way that healthcare acts in our country right now yeah it's privatized but and to so, the extreme right probably the biggest catalyst to this entire story yeah. of the edge runners is oh, um david martinez loses his mother in a car accident and as he's sitting there in the flipped over car looking at his mom <sighs> God, on the pavement here comes trauma team and he has a great sense of relief like oh great we're being rescued but they see that neither of them have a certain package that allows for emergency evac yeah and so they overlook them and simply take the other victims and just leave think of your healthcare package that you get like with certain jobs as benefits. Yeah. But to the extreme where if you were like in a shooting or a car accident, this team would come out, pick you up and take you to a hospital and make sure that you survive it based on your membership package and how much money you've paid them. So you could be like a platinum member. Yeah. And so it's And like, in which case yeah. platinum members usually have a certain chip, which you see this in the beginning of the game with Sandra Dorset. Yeah. She works for uh, Netwatch, which is a huge corporation in the game. And so she has a platinum membership. And so as soon as her little tracker chip becomes active, they can sense that she's unconscious. They send a team right away to her location to go pick her up. Yeah. And most people are not that lucky in this world, especially if they don't work for a corporation. Yeah. 
the the creators of the show hit David's character hard at the beginning of the show. He loses his mom. He loses his position at the school. He has no future going into any corporation. And he has this snobby fucking kid who's like taunting him for yeah. losing his mother, which is like the worst possible yeah. thing. Yeah, what a real piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what does any teenager in this situation do? Finds this black market cybernetic, straps it in, goes and takes care of the bully, and then tries to figure it out from there. In which case, yeah. get a lucky encounter with Lucy. Well, I would say at first, Lucy kind of set him up. Yeah, that's true. She did set him up at first, but I think she legitimately starts to care for him, though. But she only set him up because she knew of the cyberware that he yeah, had. Exactly. And that Maine was actually the original one to purchase it. So the reason why David got into this group in the first place is because Gloria, his mother, was selling cybernetics to Maine, yes. the leader of this cyberpunk yeah. group. And as soon as he finds out that David's his or David's his her son, he's like, "Okay, yeah, we'll take you in. Yeah. We'll see what you got, kid." I would argue that Maine steps in as a fatherly figure. He does act as a fatherly and figure. This leads Definitely. him down the path of wanting to do the same thing that he does. And Maine was already on his way to cyberpsychosis. Yeah. Because of how much he had installed in himself and the things he was doing, so like he kind of sets him up to fail by telling him like what he thinks is important and like all the things that you're going to do because he's young like he's got to be 16 17 when the show starts not only that the father was never really an aspect yeah. of his life he's not a story like at all yeah they don't say his name they don't say a picture they don't say what happened to him they just say father not in the picture that's it yeah a single mom raising him and so, so there's he loses, certain like things, everything has yeah, to restart there's certain bonding moments that you simply don't get the same way with your mother yeah. versus your father especially growing up a young heteronormative boy right yeah so i think i think what i really liked was the story making around Lucy's character, who at first seems very aloof and wanting to escape from what's going on. She even has the uh, dream of going to the moon, which is in the game, it's a rich colony yeah. that you can live at on the moon. Also a lot of interesting lore behind space colonization, yeah. but I don't even know if we'll have time to touch on that. Right. So that's like her dream. She wants to escape Night City. She doesn't want to be in mercenary work anymore. But it was kind of a lost, untouchable dream for her for a long while. Although I would say that the aspect of dreams is probably the biggest theme you'll see yeah. throughout this show. And that's something I really admired about this show because uh, what I love about cyberpunk is that it really stays true to the punk aspect. And when we think about punk, a lot of times people simply just think of the style or the music. But punk yeah. in itself is a movement. It's an attitude. It's... Yeah fighting against oppression it's fighting against the systems that keep people right. down keep well them in it's a certain been place. um it's been sort of taken over by mainstream views on what they think punk is mm -hmm. and so this returns to the original idea of what people yes. wanted out of the movement and this game this world is entirely against the man yeah but not only that, I mean, that's kind of a simple concept. Everybody know that corp knows that corporations and larger companies yeah, like that, they profit. suck. <laughs> they suck. They don't care about people. They're destroying the world. We all know that. But this took it a step further. And how can you still stay true to your dreams? How can you still follow your dreams in a world that's like this? And are you sacrificing your own dreams for simple needs of survival? Yeah. And th that's like, so in a way, all the characters had an inescapable life. They couldn't really do that much change, even though they would do mercenary work. The more notorious you are as a mercenary, the more likely people want to kill you. Yeah. And so like becoming a legend in Night City, they mention it in the game. What's the way that you become a legend and get a drink at the afterlife? Snuff it in a spectacular fashion. You have to in die. In the words of Claire, yeah. the bartender. <laughs> and so you end up getting a drink named after you, and then people just remember you as the drink in a notorious night legend. But what did you really get out of it? Yeah. Aside from the notoriety of 
just becoming a merc. So it's like that's the hardest part about them living in Night City. And so in this case, you have someone like Lucy that has a very solid dream for herself. She yeah. wants to go to the moon and she'll do it. She'll get there any yeah. way possible. And um, she does. I really like that she ends up really caring about David in a very vulnerable way where she puts aside a lot of her previous traumas and then is like, actually, not to say that she chose to like, oh, I'm going to live for him. But also, in a way, she was like, actually, I'm going to change my mind about the dangers of doing this type of work and I just want to go away. And she essentially was like, I want you to come with me, like go with me away. And it's very much your like, it is a typical story narrative where it's like, we're going to run away together. Yeah. But of course, he had too much pride already to let go of a situation. He had no resolved feelings about his mother dying and mm -hmm. like not being able to do anything about it. And he had something to prove, you know, yeah. and I feel like the whole problem of what led to his psychosis is even though he got to a place where he was financially stable and taken care of. He, was he very still unhappy. didn't confirm the dream that his mother wanted for him, which was to be at the top floor of Arasaka yeah. working for the company. But in the end of the show, he does make it to the top floor, just maybe not in the way that he was expecting to. Yeah, a lot of, um, uh, um, what is it, illusions or, um, God, what's the word for it where they like show you something before it happens? Yeah. Um, he literally walks off the edge of the stairs every day that he comes out of his apartment which is like he's going a, over the edge he's going over the edge every yeah. time he's an edge runner like this is the things that they're pushing at you that yeah. you are very uh, subliminal whenever you're watching it but the idea was that uh the world the narrative that's been condensed here is a cycle of violence that happens in night city which is similar to what we see today people yeah. turn to crime very often because they have nothing else they can do they got nothing to lose too yeah so it's like if you're going to get involved with these things it pays out for high risk high reward and so this is the story that they follow with all these characters. Yeah, but in a lot of cases, when you're chasing someone else's dream, you lose yourself. And I think that's yeah, precisely what, it. what happened to David in this story is that even though he was achieving something for himself, achieving glory, he was still following his mother's dream for him. He wasn't following yeah. his own dream. As far as I know, he never really established one for himself yeah he never had a goal he never had anything in mind for himself and that's why he lost himself yeah whereas you have someone like lucy she had a very clear goal in mind yeah and honestly she was the only one that had a clear goal and yeah. she made it out alive so this is very much the type of story that just like rips your heart out when you see what happens to the main characters i mean essentially like almost every member of the team dies with the exception of falco and lucy yeah. Falco's their um their getaway driver. And to be honest, Falco was never entirely involved with the work no. anyways. He was just the driver. Yeah, he was a hired driver. Um He could kick ass if he needed to, <laughs> but he was just a driver. Um and then L Lucy represents a huge part of the story where she escaped a corporation and she was looking to she was that character where like they need you to run away and like not look back. And like this is essentially what she does at the end when she goes to the moon. Yeah. And does make it to where she wants to be and then sees David again. Um, so it's like this is the essence of the story. But they talk a lot about the existentialism, which they talk about a lot throughout the game. Um, You're playing earlier and you met up with Buddhist monks. Yeah. Who talk so about the what it is to be, I guess, alive. Yeah. So I feel like in this case, we need to segue a little bit into the game and yeah. sort of the storyline that's going on there. So if you aren't familiar with the game of Cyberpunk 2077, the story follows V, a mercenary who ends up taking a job where they get a cybernetic implant, but it's a very unique one. It's called the Relic. Yeah. 
And essentially the relic is an engram or a copy of that person's psyche. Right. All of their memories, their thought processes, their wants, their likes, dislikes, everything. I think everything. the thing that's kind of unclear even now is, which is what we're going to discuss right now, is is it truly them yeah. that gets put into it? Right. It's a digitized copy of the person's soul, but is it really the person's soul? But anyways, in the job that V takes, yeah. they end up having to slot the relic into their brain in order to maintain it. And on that relic contains the psyche of Keanu Reeves, a.k.a. Johnny Silverhand. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that they got Keanu Reeves for this character. Yeah, an Perfect insane fit. amount of work. Yeah. Perfect fit, but so yeah, we have the psyche of Johnny Silverhand now in this person's brain and yeah. overriding their consciousness essentially. Well, but the, now let's yeah. talk about what exactly is this relic? Is it a real person? So the I think in the game they even have commercials for it and little ads. The they were the corporation was selling it as a way to kind of like save yourself. It was you, the key to immortality. Yeah, you can digitize yourself and continue living. Um in some ways, it can be a transference of the person from one body to another in the case of um, Yorinobu and his son. And so the biggest debate I think that anybody could have about it is what exactly is the copy in the digitized world and does it take its soul with it? Yeah, I think this can also tie into the uh, concept of AIs and if AIs yes. could ever be sentient because essentially what these relics are, are AIs, they're artificial intelligences. Yeah, Um What's most interesting is that they have Buddhist monks that you can speak to in game who actually discuss it with you in pretty great detail. You can ask them whether or not they think that an AI can be a living person. And they argue that the key thing to being alive is suffering. That if you can suffer, then you are living and you are then considered a person. But they weren't sure how that would coincide with the idea of reaching nirvana, which is a rebirth. Right. And so they were against cybernetics, but not for the reasons that you might think. They right. were against for, they were against cybernetics because you're supposed to be able to get rid of all material possessions in this world. And cybernetics are possessions that are literally attached to you. Right. So how then would you get rid of it? So not to say that maybe you need a cybernetic implant because your liver is shot. Yeah. You need a new liver. It's a little bit different than, say, getting a cybernetic eye because you want to be able to look at the news while you're walking around or because you want to take a call in your head. Yeah. Those are more material convenience things than they are necessary to life. Yeah, so th not that kind of stuff. This gets into really interesting stuff in regards to how would you then respond to AIs going rogue and doing their own thing, which they do in fact do in the game in the world of cyberpunk because yeah. they are created and then they leave the system that they're in and then choose to do their own thing. Delamain is probably the most you interact with in-game who is a cab service. Yeah. <laughs> in the game. But also, you know, at some point you can help it escape. You can help it do other things. So it's like a lot of people I think would take some problems with this today because there are people who are just like, they agree that it'll just never be alive. Right. Because and, it's made by us. And I think a lot of that comes from the uh, hold that Abrahamic religions have on everyone's yeah. worldview and that people believe God to be the only creator yeah, or really fucks with their idea of who their God is, is the only creator. And so anything created by humans is not of God and therefore not legitimate. Yeah. Um, I'm under the, so for me originally, I thought maybe Johnny Silverhand's engram was just like, it was a rough copy of him. 
But as you talk to him, as he ends up telling you about his vulnerabilities and about what's going on, I really became convinced that Johnny Silverhand's soul was stuck in that engram and it was literally like punishment for what he had done. I think uh, there's even a line when you're talking to Johnny, as you're talking to the monks as well, where you ask him like, so are you just a copy of Johnny Silverhand? Are you the real thing? Uh, Is Johnny actually dead? And he was like, well... If I'm just a copy, then yeah, the real Johnny Silverhand's dead. I'm Johnny Silverhand now. Yeah, so this becomes in a, a conversation about uh, what makes you you and whether or not several versions of you can exist together or they have to be separate, like one dies and another comes in. Right, and here's kind of where I've been twisting my head around is the possibility that if you create an engram of yourself, if you download your psyche onto a device that there is now two versions of you. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that the downloaded psyche is exactly you because your soul is your soul. That's something that cannot be replicated. It's an energetic concept, essentially. And so that energy, even if your body dies, still continues to live on and could be reborn into a new body, especially if you believe in the idea of reincarnation. Yeah, That soul is going to go on and do something else. It And a lot of people believe that they lose all of their concept of who they were before. And so the soul still exists, but that person no longer exists. But in the psyche, in the engram psyche, essentially, that person still does exist. And so that is the original person's personality. But the soul is a separate thing from that person now. So is a person's personality, their memories, their experiences still the same person or is it something different? Yeah, I'm more inclined to be agreeing with the monks. Um, I think, I don't know if it's just me being very sympathetic and empathetic to certain things that happened and being moved by like whenever an AI or something like that communicates with you. But I think there shouldn't be heavy parameters on stuff like this, right? I think if like they mention, if you're existing, if you're suffering, if you're understanding what it is to live and die, then I think that is really what makes you alive and sentient. Right. And this is kind of like how you're going to live and exist in the world. Which is kind of like, it does sound a little cliche because it's like, what's living? It's suffering. Like, the, you, you have to have like kind of both. You yeah. can't just be an immortal AI. And you'll often find that once they're given this sentience and the ability to think for themselves, they think about themselves in relation to the world. They're like, what am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? And they often get corrupted because of that like task that they were supposed to do and then have now gone beyond. And so it's like, they deal a lot with the idea of, how does the relic work if it does take a copy and then it gets put somewhere else? This is what's happening to V. Mm-hmm. She's getting overtaken by Johnny Silverhand's anagram. So he essentially is reborn in yeah. her body. And so in that case, yes, rebirth does exist for an engram, especially if they're put into another body. Because he even said at some point that he was starting to feel like he was becoming like V. Yeah. And V was becoming like Silverhand. And so in a sense, they were both being reborn at the same time yeah i would argue that or i should say i wouldn't be surprised by the idea that rogue ais would attempt to place themselves into real human bodies uh, whether it was somebody who was fully conscious of it as in like they're dying in some sort of brain damage or something and then get placed in there or they do it forcefully where the ai is taking people kidnapping them 
because they have control over a lot of the systems. Well, it's even something that a human, like a living human, could do if they wanted to. You see this in the game yeah. with Hanako. She sends in a proxy in which she essentially possesses the body of this random person in right. order to speak to V without being there herself. And so if you can do that as a human, who's to say an AI couldn't do that? And there's also another mission in the game where it's inferred that there is some sort of rogue AI that is overtaking people's brains, rewriting their memories, and controlling them essentially through that. Yeah. All this is important because it deals with one of the biggest questions in Night City, which is what is, like, how are you going to exist in a world where you're very small compared to what's going on? You can't really do much to change the way your life is there. I think also this time period really calls for an extension of life because the way things yeah. are, it's so difficult to move upwards. Yeah. It takes a lot more time than it would have, say, in like, I don't know, the 1960s or 70s for someone to move yeah. up in life, where it was very accessible. The economy allowed for progression of an individual, whereas the economy now, even as in our current state, it's very difficult to move upwards the ladder. Yeah, so... So having more time is something that's very valuable to a lot of people. Yeah, it's what uh, Yorinobu understood about the world, which is why he was so old when he was uh, in You mean Saburo. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, what's his name? Saburo? Saburo. Yeah. yeah. He he was very much like he understood the importance of his company and what he was doing because he was looking out for himself. He wanted to live forever. Um, he had He definitely had the idea of immortality, which kind of succeeds. Well, yeah, I mean, he did successfully preserve himself into an end grab, yeah. which you'll see depending on the ending that yes. you choose for the game. You'll see how the story of the Arasaka family unfolds, how Yorinobu ends up becoming the new body for Saburo. Yeah, which is fucking insane. So they, you have confirmation that it is possible to place it back into a body and have it take over a consciousness that was definitely there. And so you essentially have the same thing that happens with V. Um, happening there as far as the narrative for the story goes i think it's a well-made story because we've talked about this before it had no filler and any downtime was time where they expressed how they were feeling about their situation how they felt about living in night city what they wanted their life goals it of course focuses on david and lucy the most but it also touches on Maine and some of his like traumatic uh, events that happened previously which suggests that either something happens like in a wartime or that he had something traumatic happen like in a desert somewhere. Yeah, because when Maine starts to go into psychosis, you see him flash back to a memory of when he was younger, probably a teenager, and he's running through the desert. But you also see the same thing with David when he starts to really give into his cyber psychosis. You see him walking through the streets. And this yeah. is something you see quite often is him alone walking through the city. Going right. past all of the debauchery, all of the crime. Well, I think it's a visual way to show how somebody might be feeling when they're depressed, when they're suicidal. They think that they're alone, that there's no one else who's going to be able to help them, that they've kind of had to deal with the situation on their own. And that's a lot of what I feel was David's problem is he yeah. felt he had to do things by himself. He had to always be the best yeah. so he could take care of everything himself. And I think a lot of that comes from the guilt of losing his mother is he couldn't save her he couldn't yeah. take care of her the way that maybe he wanted to yeah and i think that's the distinction right between characters like lucy and david and then falco falco yeah. was very much understood what he was doing and had no problem with it like he was like i'm a driver that's what i'm gonna do and that's what i'm gonna continue to do and it's why he kind of survives them yeah he also gave all of his heart and his love to the group that he was working with. yeah his his job was to take care of them and make sure they stayed alive yeah. and they were safe 
I think that's also part of the reason why he survived till the end, because he was the one essentially to save Lucy. As far as storytelling goes, he ends up being the person that ends up recounting these things. And so in, in a lot of ways, storytelling requires that one or two people survive to be able to retell the story to other people as sort of a warning story. Like, yeah. don't go down this path, because he even... They connected into the game, which yeah, you saw. Yeah, which is really cool. I came across this the other day when I was playing, is you find the brain dance that you'll see in the very beginning of the show. I won't talk about it too much. You'll just have to see that for yourself. Yeah, very good. Um, but you find the brain dance, but it's overwritten. And at the end, it said something about David Martinez. You don't want to end up like him is essentially the message that popped up at the end, which led her be down the path of figuring out who David Martinez is, in which yeah. case you actually come into contact with Falco, yeah. talks a little bit about David and compares David's experience to how V is right now. Yeah, he's like, you guys are very similar. Mm -hmm. he, um, you also get his jacket. You also get David's jacket. Was, it's sick. It's so sick. Yeah. It's a trauma team jacket, but with a little bit of alterations to it. Yeah. It's a vibe. Very stylish. Yeah, what you see in the show is literally what you get. Yeah. Um, they're able to recreate it and put it in as a game item. I think it's like an iconic item as well in the game. It's legendary, actually. Yeah, iconic and legendary. Um, I think the show itself, what really stood out to me was the ability for the creators of the show to make you care deeply about the characters and their life Each situations. and every character, and yeah. for different reasons, yeah. too. Like, uh, you really come to appreciate Maine for his his fatherliness towards yeah. the whole group he acts really as a father well, to the group he holds things down for everybody he's also very fair about yeah. how he does his work he splits the money evenly every yeah. time with everybody. no one gets paid more than the other yeah. regardless of their aspect in the job and then you have someone like dorio who's sort of like uh she's sort of like the rock you know she keeps everyone together steady, keeps them yeah. steady she's always very pragmatic um you have Falco, who's taking care of everyone, making sure everyone's safe. They get out when they need to. You have Rebecca, who's just like the bomb. She's a nuclear bomb. I would argue that she's more of like a cult personality than she is uh, like crazy. Because yeah. people were misconstruing her character as possibly being on the end of being cyber psychosis. I think she was just fully confident and knew exactly right. who she was, that it almost came across as being crazy yeah. to some people. Also, as far as I could tell, her only alterations were her hands and then possibly her eyes. Yeah. But aside from that, she didn't yeah. have any serious cybernetics. You have Kiwi, but Kiwi's a little shady. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll find out in the show. I almost don't want to spoil that bit of it. Yeah. But like, kind of do. Essentially, you'll see that like with every tragedy, there's a betrayal. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate betrayal is really what gets everybody. So you do see it play out in a very Shakespearean way yeah. to see the characters all turn on each other. Right. And But then you have Lucy, who's an interesting character. She's in a lot of ways very self-serving. And I feel like the only reason she's involved with the group is because she has her own goals that she's trying to yeah. achieve. But she also cares very deeply for David. And so yeah. their bond is sort of the biggest aspect of the story. I'm a huge fan of the way that they played out their romance um because at first it seems that they don't really care for each other or that like he's smitten with her to start and then she's kind of like mm, i don't know being really aloof and then she does end up caring for him because she realizes that even though david is a tragic character he's that like pure of heart character yeah he's not going to be the one to do something terrible to someone else because he wants better for himself and for everyone around him and so that is what brings her to him is that honor character but he's also too prideful 
And that's really the like the trait that brings him down at the end he of it. He lets his ego get ahead of right. him. And so this is kind of the thing that brings the story around. I have to really praise the show for having like ruthless characters like who you have Faraday. Oh, fuck Faraday. Who is just like, like he knows what he wants, right? He's, yeah. he's the villain of the show. He wants power and money. And he'll climb over <laughs> and fuck over yeah. anyone to get to that point. He and, wants yeah. power and money. Yeah. not just He doesn't want to just be rich. He wants to be in control. He wants to have a power dynamic play out because he's got a god complex. He wants to be in charge. I mean, just think about all those handsome dolls he has falling around all the time. <laughs> right, yeah. This man's all about his power, his little toys, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and it's funny because you end up seeing him actually not be in charge a lot of the time. He's like essentially shitting down where like people like who are part of Militech are like, he's their dog. Yeah, and then or he Arasaka at some point Yeah, too. right. And so... A very satisfying story to be had with Faraday and what happens to him because you get a lot of revenge and like vengeance that comes out of the story. Um, and they had like really unflinching characters like um, Adam Smasher. Yeah. Who like, I love to hate him. Like yeah. you love to hate his character because he's like, he's one tracked mind. He's a mercenary. He knows exactly what he wants. And he's been working for Arasaka for who knows how long. Like he's since before yeah. 2020. Yeah. And you can tell he's become obsessed with a different kind of power where he wants to have like the perfection of his body, which includes the cybernetics and the transformation into a robot, basically like a I cyborg. Think he just wants to be undefeatable is yeah. sort of his goal. He, he wants to be the most thing. strongest person yeah. out there. No one can touch him except the apparently yeah and you know what's funny i was thinking about this earlier because in the game i feel like it's not terribly difficult to take down smasher even though it is a bit of a fight well, he definitely you're always over leveled when you arrive i mean i'm max leveled <laughs> you're supposed to be max level at the end of the game fair fair but i feel like it was way too easy for him to take down david but then again of course david was on the verge of cyber well, he was in cyber psychosis and i think that was probably his biggest flaw is if yeah he wasn't psychotic he would have been able to take down smasher and uh, that's the difference between david and v is despite everything v doesn't really go psycho it can be inferred but i don't think v has the same trauma that they're working through like david is no she, uh, v's character is very much uh, i want to survive this thing and, and that's their goal that's their goal like they when you arrive well, the reason why it's open-ended is because you're assuming the role of v so v is everybody and you can change your goals when you're playing through the game this plays out in how do you make decisions whether or not you're gonna let someone live someone shoot someone how you're gonna handle situations um and so that's like the main role-playing aspect of it but it's done i think purposely so so that you can have a sort of contrast to what happens there i would argue though that uh david was never going to win anything and that he set up right from the beginning to be a very flawed and tragic hero. And this makes for a very harsh story for people, but it often gets you the reaction of you're very empathetic towards the character and it feels satisfying even though it's not what you wanted. Because if you saw him survive with Lucy at the end, it would be too much fan service. Like yeah. he would have gone away and they would have disappeared into the sunset together. It almost and it's had just to like, end the way it did, yeah. but it wasn't an entirely sad ending because no. in the end, Lucy still survived and Lucy achieved her goal. She well, she sees dream. him when he is the most pure of heart, I think. Yeah. When he shows up and goes into the special brain dance that she made about visiting the moon, you got to see uh, a real amount of joy and happiness from him. That he probably hadn't experienced up until that point. Yeah. Because no one ever like 
took the time to really show him things like that. But he also didn't have the ability to yeah. experience something like this because he's just a poor kid. Yeah. You know? So sad. Like it really gets at people who are working class. Like this is going to affect, I think, people in certain bits of society where you're like, oh, man, this is like you're seeing this play out around you with other people getting into stuff. So like, yeah. I think that's what makes it the most effective type of storytelling. Not to mention it's like really tight storytelling where they don't waste any minute of what you're watching on screen which makes sense because anime kind of does that with the exception of longer ones who have like literal filler episodes so i think it's amazing is there any scenes that like kind of like stood out to you like favorite scenes i wouldn't say there's one scene in particular but one thing i did really enjoy about the show is how true it stayed to the game like yeah. down to the little details of the city and the sounds like when somebody calls you the sound same that sound. you'll hear in the show is the same in the game the walk don't walk crosswalks that you'll hear all the time in the game same in the show god i didn't realize how like subliminal that was yeah not only that the layout of the city in the show is exactly the same as it is in the game mm -hmm. you can even see some of the iconic places like the afterlife lizzie's bar and you get to meet certain characters like rogue makes a special yeah. appearance and then there's the duke out with adam smasher at the end i like how much of the game was incorporated into the show and so people who've played the game and then watched the show are really going to find a lot of satisfaction Man, in that yeah but people who have only watched the show and hopefully will eventually play the game will also i think find satisfaction in how true to that is because they already are familiar with night city if they've yeah. watched the show yeah and and night city is kind of the culmination of your like city of sin yeah. type of, of idea well i mean given the geological or sorry geographical location of night city in the game i would say it's like uh, california it's southern california but specifically los angeles now yeah. i know they said it's supposed to be kind of like a combination of like los angeles and san francisco but it's very la yeah that's definitely how i mean it plays they also out. have like they have like joshua trees yeah once <laughs> you go out to the desert and meet some of the nomads if you've ever been out to the desert near los angeles it has a very specific sort of vegetation that's there it has a specific layout and so it's almost a replica of los angeles if los angeles were in a futuristic setting and called night city instead <laughs> but i i really enjoyed how true to the game the show is and how true to the show the game is. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the scenes that really stood out for me are scenes where the writing for me is impeccable. Like I, I'm a writer myself, so I always look out for moments where I'm like, oh, that was really good. Like, and it also has to do with the delivery of the people. So one, I think Faraday is very well written as a really insidious character. And it's amazing to hear uh, Giancarlo Esposito play that character because he's so smug about all of his work and that like he's very much in control. Um, I'm a huge fan and I'm a sucker for the romance between Lucy and David because um, they effectively create a vulnerable moment for them both in that they want to escape the life that they're in. And so it ends up being super romantic at some point and then it gets coincided with the super violent things that they have to be involved with and how those like just won't ever mesh that like a lot of things that they're describing is that you have to sort of escape together or you won't get out at all. Like they needed each other is, is really yeah. like what they were getting at and not in the way of they're incomplete without each other. Or like a codependency kind of yeah. way, but rather this is a fulfilling aspect right. to their relationship. It's, it's got to do with the like overarching theme of like um, uh, what is like fate and like what is the making of soulmates and things like that. And so it's like, even though it doesn't fully express it, 
the story really gets at the idea that they were meant to run into each other and become associated and fall in love with each other. And that kind of stuff always gets me for storytelling because I think it's really well made. Definitely. And that is really kind of what stood out. Uh, the Adam Smasher fight pissed me off because I just hate him so much. Yeah, fuck Adam <laughs> Smasher. It was hilarious. I feel like even people that have never experienced the game will equally hate Adam oh, Smasher. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah so uh, the Shout other out. day... I made one of my friends watch the entire series with me and we binge watched that all in one yeah. sitting. And at the end, he he wanted to download the game in the first place. He was just sort yeah. of waiting to get around to it. But after watching that, he was like, I'm downloading the game just so I can fuck up Adam Smasher. Yeah, because fuck that guy. Fuck Adam Smasher. <laughs> He's also a guy you would not want to run into ever. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine oh my God. being anywhere and just seeing that Terrifying. fucking Borg beast of a human? Yeah, I don't even know if he's human anymore. It's just, just a like, Borg. Yeah, so scary um far as rating goes uh perfect 10 yeah i have no complaints 10 out of 10 like it's beautifully stylish the soundtrack is amazing the story is amazing the characters are great it's a rare occurrence where i hope they don't do anything else with it (laughs) i think it's amazing to leave stuff alone yeah i honestly don't think with the way that it ended off they could continue that specific story right i do hope that they make more cyberpunk animes in the future following other people's stories as well and maybe even seeing some guest appearances by lucy i would even hope that in the future when they have another installment of a cyberpunk game that they include lucy and falco yeah agreed it'd be really cool to see them show up in stories um or like references to people that are going on because they've designed a really big world they can build in and so it's like to have the world established already is a huge piece of the storytelling element that you can easily pick up on and hand to other people this sort of ensures the like future of creating stuff where like you have a world you can then have people jump in and play in that world and create things and i do hope there is more as well if you're interested in more stuff go read the comics yeah there's interesting comics that are out for it um and then if you are in game Take some time to read the shards. It'll inform you of a large amount of history, which we didn't even touch on. (laughs) No, yeah, we didn't really get a whole lot of time to speak about that. But there are things called data shards that you'll find throughout the city. And they're always placed in very specific locations. There's so many of them that you would think that they're random. But every shard that you find is very specific to what is happening in that location. For example, there's something called a crime in progress, where essentially you can take gigs from the NCPD and go break up. Crimes that are happening. Organized crime. And in almost every location, I think actually every location, there'll be a data shard which explains why those people were there, what they were doing, what was going on. And you'll find a lot of other things like bits of literature from actual pre-writings. Um, you can even find discussions about things like philosophy, religion. Yeah. And uh, cutesy things like little adverts and kind of joke things as well. Yeah. But like the data shards are amazing. Um I definitely recommend playing Cyberpunk a few times because the first time you play it, you're going to want to just go through the story because it's an incredible story. But play it again, take your time and read everything that you find as it comes up. It makes a whole it gives a whole other context to the world that you're existing in in this game. Yeah. Um, The last thing I think I want to mention is the connection to real life literature in the source of the Iliad. Um, upon going into your final mission and at the start of the game, they pose the question to you as V is the character is, do you want to live a life unknown, but you're comfortable and you retire several kids, people love you, you die and people forget about you. Or 
Are you going to go out in a fucking flashbang of like craziness that's happening and you're remembered forever? And this is the story of Achilles. Uh, what does Dexter Deshaun say? A uh, quiet life or a blaze of glory? Blaze of glory. And so you choose, right? And yeah. this is this gets at the heart and essence of everybody who's ever alive. What do you want to do with your life? And this is like, you choose. You literally get to live that out in yeah. cyberpunk. What do you want to do with your life? And how do you want to be remembered? Yeah. If you want to be remembered at all. And this is an old story. You get this as early as the Iliad with Achilles, where Achilles' mother tells him the same thing. If you go and fight in Troy, you're going to die. But yeah. people will remember you forever. And we do, in fact, still remember him. So it's like yeah. he chose the blaze of glory. Like You know, it's funny. There's actually a gun in the game called the Achilles. Yes. there's a, It's a tech rifle that yeah. you can get precision rifle actually. yeah so i i think it's a joke and stab at the idea that you have to be very precise to kill achilles and <laughs> injure him on his ankle gotta get so, him right in the heel it deals with that and i think it's super important to know about the storytelling aspects of such a large game like that well worth playing the game watching the series getting really involved and go play the tabletop you might actually yeah. enjoy the role playing like i honestly cannot stress enough i know that i'm not like an expert opinionator or anything but <laughs> let me just tell you i was not a gamer until cyberpunk came out oh wow that's, i that's maybe a... only ever played like sims or yeah. zoo tycoon those are the only games i ever played what a great intro but as soon as something. cyberpunk came out i was so in love with the concept with yeah. the style that i was like i have to try this like this yeah. is everything that i want a lot of replayability too and i've become obsessed with the game even to this day i started playing this game when it came out and i have not stopped playing this game yeah. maybe i'll take a few months in between where i don't play the game but i always come back to it because no matter how many times you've been through it it's it's different every time depending on how you play yep agreed you can you can have a lot of different things play out the branch is not huge for the way the storyline goes off and you can have possibilities happen but it is enough to make a huge difference for the very ending mission well actually there's quite a few different ways that this could end because you essentially are giving three maybe four options to start with how you want to go about the ending yeah. but even when you get there the decisions you make along the way are going to affect the ending and you even have that opportunity to give up your body to johnny silverhand which will give you a completely different yeah, ending. secret ending and so there are so many ways that this game could play out and I've only experienced maybe like three of the endings. Yeah. I, man, I had the like the worst, saddest ending. Yeah, your first one was awful. You could have gotten out of the game. Like I really had a shitty ending. Yeah, you that. can get extremely depressing <laughs> endings. You can get a little bit more happy endings. Yeah. You can get kind of like uh bittersweet endings yeah um there's so many different ways that game could play out and like i haven't even experienced it at all despite playing it a few <laughs> times over um yeah go play it i think we're right about at the end yeah of the discussion this is a humongous ongoing conversation which i think we'll have yeah to revisit. i didn't even get to talk about all the stuff i wanted yeah. to talk about we'll, low-key i feel like we're gonna come back to this again maybe when the dlc comes out we'll do we'll a little mini episode yeah. we should also consider doing an episode that talks about the history and lore in regards to the shards yeah because quite a lot happens in their history i also kind of want to get the tabletop game play yeah, through that and cool. see how that Create influences the that story way. even further very old school and i love the idea of doing role-playing uh paper and pencil yeah <laughs> like that's uh that's always been the appeal of it is also the role-playing aspect of in person with other people yeah um, definitely. which i think is what's been really positive about the spread of role-playing games is that you bring in people together to yeah. to go into the sci-fi adventure together and that's really what Dungeons and Dragons was designed for. And there's still a lot of creativity that is involved with how these stories will play yeah. out. 
Um, I think the only other thing we have is that we do want to remind everybody about the podcast itself. So we're super easy to find. You can find us on all the streaming services where you can find podcasts. You can also go to Google, look up bringing down, bringing down the grindhouse. So you'll find us on Instagram. You'll find us on Facebook. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Almost bumped the mic over. <laughs> um, you'll be able to go and leave ratings on Spotify as well as on Apple Podcasts. These really help us get seen and it gives us a nice review for other people to see. The Spotify one is probably the easiest. It's just stars. So go in and place what you think we deserve for the podcast, which is five stars. Five stars. <laughs> and so five stars. Definitely go and tell us what you think. Um, we are looking to do the podcast as often as we can, but with our busy schedules, we're probably looking to do maybe every other week. We don't have a set schedule. So I think as you're looking forward to it, um, you can go backwards. Yeah. We have like a hundred plus episodes. We have like at this point, like 140 episodes that we've released. Yeah. And I guarantee none of you out there have listened to every single episode. Honestly, I wouldn't listen to every single episode, but we have plenty of content to look yeah. at. Lots of different movies, of course, horror movie based, but we have done a few on alternate movies that are outside of that genre. Um, some video games, particularly with Cyberpunk. We had a very long conversation when it first came out, so go listen to that if you want to listen to something about more about cyberpunk yeah we we detail a lot more yeah. of the aspects of the game of playing, the games yeah. that are in there the world that is cyberpunk yeah. 2077 exactly um and then the last thing is that we have merch so if you Woo! go to our links our link tree on our social media sites will take you to where you can buy hats um, you can buy shirts you can get mugs they all have our artwork for our logo as well as a special tv version of all of us uh and well, the is, former. This is like the four people group, right? And yeah. So, we'll um, have some new merch coming out for our <laughs> yeah. rebranding, essentially. Yeah, for, for us too. And um, that's pretty much it. So thanks so much for listening. My name's Jonathan. Hi, my name's Justine. Well, I guess bye. My name's Justine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Have a good night. Woo!